Welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovic and Leon Wigard. And Sam, it's been a very big week for you. You've been interstate? I have finally seamlessly got through. No border shutdowns, thank God. Uh, managed to finish the lamb commercial, which is coming out in Australia Day. Oh, you do lamb, do you? I do lamb, yeah. Well, anyway, 21 lamb meals a week, you know that, Leon. <laughs> but I'm one of the good ambassadors because I genuinely love the article. I'm not doing it because of compulsion or because of a financial inducement like your good self. I am a farmer's... <laughs> I, am a, I am the... I'm Bambi to the farmers. Uh, so that'll be fun. That's fun. And uh, But it's been a big week in, uh, in general. The Aussies won the first test, albeit under somewhat uh, controversial circumstances. Why? Well, the Palms got fined, you know. There's some, there's some shitty little rules, aren't there? The overrate, they got pinged their whole match fees. But there's still the arrogance of the Australian sporting uh, identity still prevalent, isn't it? You think the so? grace of yesteryear, they still sully our wonderful reputation, I reckon, the contemporaries. They just lack that bit of class that you and I used to exude, and our next guest had it in, he had, he had in, uh, what's bigger than a vat? Before we go to the next <laughs> yes. guest, which is uh, a, a very important chap around, Melbourne, around Australia. Around this world. I went to Ilduka last week, and one of my dining partners, uh, yes. a, he had the lamb stew, you'd call it, I suppose. Yes. And he loved it. Well, I'll tell you something, Leon, and I don't want to talk about lamb continually because manifest modesty will preclude me elaborating in detail the exact magnitude of the success of this campaign, because uh, as you probably gathered, uh, you know when we used to have lamb, mum and dad used to cook roast and the seven veg. In those days, we all thought it was lamb, it was mutton. And unless you consumed your plate within two minutes, the outer perimeter of the plate would resemble the MCG boundary line, all the fat yeah. would be stuck there. But the, but the current crop, that's why the farmer is the genuine superstar of the land. You know, when we hand our gongs, you know, New Year's Eve gongs, and I think our next guest has got a gong too, and not being disparaging, demeaning, defiling or denigrating it, but you never see anyone with a, uh, a, a postcode of uh, 79345 out in the back block somewhere, a farmer who doesn't want any fanfare or any accolade, but has worked the land, delivered the goods, fed the nation, Without any whinging. That's, he never gets that's a gong. Bulldust, there's no such postcode. It's five digits. Oh, well, whatever it is, you know what I'm alluding to. <laughs> oh. And what I'm saying about this new lamb, there's 17 cuts of lamb that is so fantastic. Who would have thought a backstrap? And who would have thought a great shoulder lamb, six hour slow cooked shoulder lamb? All those wonderful, wonderful gourmand uh, treats are now provided by the champion of the bush. The Australian farmer. You might have married the wrong animal. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go again. You know, anyone I'm losing my confidence, Leon, if you keep building me in a submission like that. Our guest today will know <laughs> the difference between lamb and mutton. I'm sure he was brought up in mutton oh. too, as uh, as we were, yeah. all were. He's only been to a five-star restaurant all his life. He's a columnist with the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, former teacher, actually. Uh, former uh, rugby league coach of two teams, um, great commentator on rugby, rugby league, in fact, all sport. And been political a, commentator. Been a member of the Australian Sports Commission for Lord knows how many times, a years, I think it's over 20 years, and an author, too, of a book called Bad Boys. And I don't yeah. know whether you get into that. Bad Boys, I think I... No, I did read it. I've got a copy of Bad Boys. But he also did one, didn't he, on uh, uh, how drugs affect the sport. What do you write... Uh, Hire uh, well, rider and sleazy. Let's ask him. Roy let's Masters joins us now. Roy, sorry about all that preamble, but we forgot the sound. We do that sort of nonsense before we start. 
can I just butt in and say to you that the most popular person in rugby league as a player over the last 40, 50 years, in my opinion, is a fellow by the name of Terry Lamb. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> a little halfback for Canterbury Bankstown. Well, he started off with me at Western Suburbs. Yeah, he and did. Then, and then I went to St George and he went over to the, to the Bulldogs. Uh, highly, highly, highly popular. Everybody loves him. Who was great player. Who was the best player that you ever saw? Uh, I know it's a hard question off the off the bat. Well, I'd say you know uh, you best. You could got to talk about toughest and most skillful. And when you do that, uh, Tommy Radonikus would have to be uh, stand up as the number one. Sadly, we lost him this year um, from uh, cancer. But uh, not a day goes by without uh, not thinking about Tommy. Um, in fact, I got a text message yesterday from a fellow that uh, Sam knows pretty well, uh, David Brooker, up in Singapore. Yes. Talking about uh, Tommy and the visit that we that he and I made up there to the Carbine Club a couple of years ago. David Brooker is the president of the Carbine Club in yeah. uh, Singapore. In fact, matter of fact, he came down to Melbourne when Ian Johnson was president of the Carbine here. And I was a life member and a media past president, I think, and uh, we met, interviewed David Brooker about his intentions about the club up there. Very uh, successful. Uh, yes, they run it very well. Yep. Uh, uh, Roy, um, how many years have you been with the Sports Commission? I was on the Sports Commission for 23 years. I, I came on in the inaugural commission now appointed by Bob Hawke, uh, survived, uh, Paul Keating uh, reappointed me, and then uh, I was there all through the long period of John Howard, who, by the way, is a St. George supporter, one of the clubs I coached, uh, and then when uh, Kevin Rudd came in, I got the arse. <laughs> i tell you what, you'd want in writing off Rudd too, just quite, just in case he did reappoint you. You'd be suspicious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was just going to go back through your um, career, um, the, the teaching side of it, Roy, that's straight out of university or something, straight into the... Oh, yeah, I went to university and uh, um, did a degree there and uh, and when when you go out into the high schools, rugby league such a popular game, um, you're, you're obliged to coach one of the local teams. I coached um, uh, teams at uh, Tamworth High School that won state championships and uh, the University Shield and was then um, chosen to take the Australian schoolboys on their inaugural tour of Great Britain in 1972. And based on their success on that trip where we won every game and only had one try scored against us, um, I got um, picked up to go to coach in Sydney and uh, coached at uh, Western Suburbs and, um, and St George. Roy, uh, do you, when you look at the Masters profile... I thought, how do we condense this in about twenty minutes, half an hour? Because you you cover so many uh, so many boundaries, and you know, cover the whole broad gamut. I mean, from political to sport to human rights to wherever you go. His own family. Well, his own family. So it's so gifted. It's all bred in the purple. What lineage, you know, in terms of uh, what they produce? They got a film. I think it's a uh, film uh, director. They got a, a great was, journalist. Mother was an author. Mother was an author. God, you got. But anyhow. I know Roy Master predominantly from the sporting side of issue. Now, I know you said a very famous statement once you make a statement, that, mo- that coaches fall into two categories. Now, I reckon this is a great paradox, but you'll obviously explain it, because I'm only a migrant son that's not tertiary educated. 
but you said they're either perfectionists or pragmatists. Now, in my view, and you might you stand, I'll stand corrected, but a pragmatist is someone that sees a problem and fixes it. Now, unless you can fix it, how the heck can you become a perfectionist unless you marry the two together? Well, a pragmatist, I think, also means somebody that finds a convenient way to solve a problem. Um, he doesn't necessarily find, uh, solve all problems, uh, whereas a perfectionist would seek to do so. So a perfectionist is one that uh, sets about, and they often fail as coaches because it's un unrealistic. It's just impossible uh, the way the ball bounces. How can you be a perfectionist? Whereas a pragmatist is one that finds, uh, finds a way to solve a problem or attempts to find trying to solve a problem but doesn't necessarily do so. Okay, you stand corrected. I apologise. I knew it wouldn't <laughs> take you long. Anyhow, <laughs> now tell me what, uh, what brought this about from someone that looks on the surface to have been raised on the right side of the tracks with uh, all the privileges uh, that society can offer uh, and all of a sudden you find your way to the western suburbs but you weren't content with just coaching the side of the Western suburbs. You had to create total anarchy. And you're almost responsible for nine deaths in that uh, area. Like, you know what I'm alluding to, the fibros, you created this enormous siege mentality, the warfare between the haves and the have-nots, which are still prevalent. That's your, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, geno the genesis of all this haves and have-nots emanated from Roy Masters when he created the Western Service against the Silver Tails of Manly. And some of the warfare that took place, I'm talking about deaths. People wouldn't go to the games because it would spill over into the crowd. Are you proud of yourself about that particular... <laughs> Roy? I, think, I think it's one of the most significant uh, events that ever happened in the history of sport and there should be more of it. I mean, you've got to, run it to understand the circumstances surrounding when I came in to coach Western Suburbs. Um, the, uh, there were about four or five very powerful clubs uh, in the NRL or Rugby City competition in those days. Um, Manly, uh, Balmain, uh, South Sydney, uh, they were the, the power clubs and the there were, there were the haves and the have-nots, and clubs such as Penrith and, and Western Suburbs uh, were frowned upon. They were despised. And I had these players such as Tommy Redonicus, Dallas Donnelly, Les Boyd, Graham Oak, Stacey Brady, Bruce Sloth Gibbs, and they lapped up that stuff. They lapped up the, um, the, 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 the we are fighting for the working class against the heinous silver tiles who rule the world. Now, you, you mentioned that I came from a privileged background. Not really. I'm the eldest of seven. My father was a school teacher. My mother was a, a journo. But we, we didn't... Well, we didn't necessarily have the arse out of our pants. We, we, we were a family that was very strongly imbued with social justice. And I could not see justice when I was at Western Suburbs because of the privileges and the favours that were given to the rich. And they would buy, they would buy, rip the hearts out of North Sydney and Western Suburbs. I lost three players overnight, Boyd, Brown and Dorothy, all to the evil Silvertails. I mean, this was, and and that was the genesis of the great Silvertail Fibro War, which to some extent persists today. Yeah, they were absolutely, you got to understand some of the games, uh, Leon. They were violent to the extreme, and one referee had no no hope of stopping it. It was just absolute mayhem, but uh, uh, such was the case. And you mentioned some of those characters, Dallas Donnelly and uh, Dorothy, uh, 
Tommy, Boyd. of course. Tommy, oh, Les Boyd. He was he, how he's not in jail, Les Boyd, for some of those things. Well, can happening. I tell you that he's just been elected to the council in the uh, town of Cootamundra. He was uh, number number four, uh, number the fourth uh, councillor elected. So he's a he's a fellow that has decided to put back into the community, a child of a man. Um, uh, but um, nonetheless, uh, he's, uh, he's he's putting back. He's had, he's had a, uh, the Oval up, he's giant of a bloke, he's had the Oval up in Cootamundra uh, named after him and I was asked to go and actually open up the uh, the Oval preside at the ceremony and I uh, delivered a speech where I said along the lines that there have been stadiums throughout the world named after kings and presidents and princes but this is the first time in the history of sport where an Oval has been named after a man that's bigger than it. Um, <laughs> he had thighs bigger than John Nichols. Yeah. Twice as, oh, unbelievable. Was Daryl Brayman there? No, Daryl Brayman and Les Boyd had, <laughs> as you know, in the state of origin match up in Brisbane. Les Boyd got a bit of a blame for that, you know. Um, okay, what he, what he did, he shouldn't have done. He took an elbow straight to the face of Brayman and broke his jaw. But that was a state of origin match where about three or four of the forwards pulled out on the eve of the match and they were left with a fairly lacklustre, timid pack. And the selectors walked into the New South Wales room just before the match and they said to Boyd, we've got no chance, mate, unless you go berserk out there tonight. That was the New South Wales selectors and he thought he had a bit of a rain to go berserk and uh, he did. But... Um, when it came time for the suspension, which he got a year's suspension, the, the selectors were nowhere to be seen. Roy, and just quickly, uh, I know you went from the Western Suburbs to St George. Tell me the, the difference of culture. I mean, St George, they were a power club. We talk about St George of the Taj Mahal. Did you have to uh, change culturally when you... Uh... I certainly did, mate. Absolute, total uh, 180-degree <laughs> change. Um, uh, I always used to say at Western Suburbs, um, you, 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 uh, uh, you didn't eat that well, but you slept a lot better. Uh, whereas at St George, I've got to say, you ate very well, but you didn't sleep much. It, it was a, it was a uh, tremendous responsibility taking on a club like that um, because of the, the, you know, the 11 premierships in a row and the, the great success the club had had. Uh, our, our crowning moment came in 1985 when we had three teams in the grand final um, and I, I've got to say it was a wonderful club but whereas at Western Suburbs I had blokes who were bricklayers and uh, abattoir workers and, and, and guys who were uh, coppers um, at St George it was school teachers and accountants it was a white collar club so I, I really had to change my whole attitude towards the players too and you certainly couldn't be walking around calling St George the Fibros uh, it's a, you know it's a, a double brick area so we were, I didn't even call them the brick veneers so I was still very, very well clear of that psychology while it's St George now, now you've seen the expansion of the uh, rugby league competition with the first to Queensland and then down here with Storm um, obviously a huge success and it's, it's really been the making of rugby league because of the money it brings in um, do you think they might one day go further than that and go to Perth and do what the AFL have done? Uh, I think the next expansion will probably be over in New Zealand. They've already got the uh, the Auckland Warriors in the um, in the now 17 team competition, but uh, like I suspect in the AFL, there is uh, the talent isn't as is, isn't as deep 
as I would like it to be. You know, there were players, I have a lot to do with the Storm, and there were players here at the Storm who played first grade in, in 2021 who, you know, probably weren't up to the standard of first grade. So if you bring in another team, you've got to come together, you've got to bring in a team where there's a lot of talent to draw upon. And I reckon that they'll bring in a second New Zealand team and they'll get tap into some of the rugby union talent over there because Melbournians tend to call, call it rugby, but there are two varieties. There's the rugby league, which is the storm in Melbourne, and there's rugby union, which is the rebels in mm. Melbourne. And rugby union is a more worldwide game and very, very powerful in New Zealand. And that's where I see the next avenue for them to tap into the talent. Uh, can we move to the Olympics? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you and I were in a lunch during the week where there was a lot of discussion about Winter Olympics because that uh, starts early next year, of course, uh, in China. You're not going, by the way, are you, Roy? What, what's that again, Leon? Are you going to China? Oh, absolutely not. No, no, mate, no. I, I went to China twice in, in, in 2008, certainly at the, the Beijing Olympics the second time. But uh, no, I uh, I won't be covering it for the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, I, although I've been to uh, been to eleven Olympics, uh, including four winter ones: uh, Salt Lake City, Yokohama, Albertville, and um, um, oh God, one other one. Oh yeah, Nagano in Japan. Right. I first uh, saw you operating in 1992 in Barcelona. I was the non-accredited um, uh, media bloke there. And you guys work your butt off, uh, and they're sleeping on the. You're, you're virtually sleeping on the job. You're sleeping on the floor of the studios, and uh, I hadn't realised uh, the amount of output. Oh, and of course, the timing was against you in Spain, where you had to do things and have have timelines ready. So, uh, hats off to you. It's uh, it's not all uh, a bed of roses for you. I can remember you and I doing interviews on the steps of, uh, of the dormitory there, um, sitting on the steps talking about the Australian Sports Commission, which had then been in operation for only about four or five years, and, and the success that we were getting for our athletes based on the funding that was coming through from the first time from the federal government. Well, that might be one of your memories. My fondest memory is uh, Scotty Palmer and myself and the great Ron Casey were returning on a bus from an outing, uh, it wasn't uh, related to the Olympics, it was a luncheon, <laughs> and uh, Ron got off the bus, missed the last step, and last I saw of him, he's rolling down this hill. That was the games where Jeff Harding was there commentating for Channel 7. He was he recently won the World Light Heavyweight Championship, <laughs> and he'd, uh, he'd, uh, I think he'd gone a bit silly, and he would... Um, stand out on the porch of a morning naked and, and scream to the world, I am the last heavyweight champion of the world. And I remember having breakfast one morning with this American girl and she said, oh, look, she said, oh, I, I just can't be getting enough sleep. I'm, I'm getting so, I'm having these bizarre dreams. She said, I had a dream this morning there was a naked man yelling out that he was the champion of the world. That wasn't a dream, love. That wasn't a dream. So... So that's what happens on the trips, Leon, eh? You tell me it was all work, work, No, work. no, well, they work They work very hard, but when they play, they play no, hard. No, you know, right. But it's, their energy levels are extraordinary, you know. And over there, by the way, talking about Barcelona still, uh, Roy, I just couldn't, well, I got used to it, but uh, you have dinner at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, 
Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, the filing time was so important that you had to uh, you had to get the story off and be checked with the sub-editors and only when they were happy could you go off and have a, have a meal. I mean, the food was beautiful, it did make up for it, but you probably got to bed about uh, 2 o'clock in the morning and you were back up at 6 o'clock for a conference. Seafood paellas. Seafood paellas at 11 o'clock. Beautiful. Now, Roy, let me take you back to uh, your great passion, Rugby League. It doesn't come into any surprise at all that you're opposed to Super League. There must have been difficult years for you. Well, uh, I was—I certainly stuck with, with the Australian Rugby League in that argument. I, I, I just don't believe that a media company should own a game, which was what Murdoch was set out to do. Uh, what happened was that t- pay TV was coming to Australia. Kerry Packer had the uh, pay TV rights to Rugby League. The agreement with um, Telstra and Murdoch was that, that Telstra would provide the infrastructure for, for pay TV and Murdoch would just supply a major mainstream sport um, for it to, to telecast and so they put their eye on rugby league and when they uh, couldn't when they lost a court battle um to um to, to take over um they then launched further actions and uh and set up their own competition but it only lasted a year and yep. uh, pe- pe- people quickly realized <clears throat> that you couldn't have two two competitions and uh we, we've Peace was formed on the 19th of uh, December 1997. Uh, I've got to say, nonetheless, that there are some innovations that Super League introduced, and Johnny Rebo, uh, who lives in Melbourne from time to time, great mate of ours, instrumental in a lot of these innovations, and they have been successful. Video replays, night grand finals, um, they, you know, they, they've certainly add, added to the, to the to, and the changing judiciary, all of which have added to the game. Now, you spend a lot of time in Melbourne, even though people, you know, associate you with Sydney predominantly, but the two cities, what do you make of the two cities? Uh, look, they might as well at some time be two countries. Uh, I, I'm just fascinated by the differences. And, and to some extent, they're reflected in, in, in the football codes and even in the, uh, you might say, the sexual lives of the citizens. Um, <laughs> I wrote, once wrote a story at the Good Weekend for the Sydney Morning Herald, and I said in reference to the fact that um, in Sydney, uh, people flip from team to team. Tommy, Tommy uh, Keneally, the great Australian writer, uh, in his lifetime, he's followed Western suburbs, St George and, and now Manly. Uh, whereas um, in Melbourne, uh, you, you know, you can have five and six generation Collingwood families where they will just stick like forever to the club. So I said that um, the adherence to the football is, is like club life in some extent that Sydney is the city of a one night stand and Melbourne is the home of a painfully durable marriage <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so um, I still think to some extent that applies today how is Elaine? <laughs> how's your wife Elaine? She, she's not, she might listen to this <laughs> hey, how'd, you, how'd you meet her by the way? what's that? How did you meet Elaine, Elaine County? We had to meet Elaine. Yeah. Yeah, one of the Olympic Games. Um, we met there, and um, then over a period, I started to come to Melbourne, um, and um, then Channel 7 was starting to uh, broadcast out of Melbourne. 
so I kept increasingly coming to Melbourne, and then by that stage, um, you know, the storm had started, uh, pay TV had come in, uh, quick transport between between the two cities, laptops, mobile phones. Suddenly found it very, very easy to, um, I could actually get go to Sydney, interview a guy up there, finish the interview around about five o'clock, get in a cab, start writing the story on the back seat of the cab on the laptop, get out to the airport, catch a, uh, say, 6.30 plane to Melbourne, have right up further continue the story on the plane, get to Melbourne, um, press a button, send the story back up to Sydney and be, be at the Hawthorne home by a uh, reasonable hour. And it was very easy to do because of the improved new technology and telecommunications. Elaine Canty, by the way, for the benefit of the uninitiated, she sat on the, uh, the AFL commission... She taught. Sorry? Tribunal. Tribunal. Tribunal, sorry, yeah. She's also chair of the Melbourne Melbourne Botanic Garden for about eight years. For about eight years. Chair of the Melbourne and Queen Victoria Market for about ten years. That's Uh, right. Victorian Institute of Sport. Yeah, and tutored in uh, London. On the board of it as well, and also the board of uh, uh, Vic Health. Perhaps we. I I think we made a mistake here. We should have. We should have got her on the podcast. Is that a problem? <laughs> no, she'd, she'd be good to have you on the podcast. Very sure I'm retiring these days. <laughs> Roy, uh, you know, you are refreshing, I've got to say. Uh, you don't mind me telling people you're 80 years of age. You had your birthday. Yes, indeed, uh, yeah. You've retained your lucidity and you're very, very sharp and people really seek your, uh, your views on a number of issues. What are your views, just, you know, digressing for a moment... Where do you see the landscape of Australia as we sit at the moment? You know, we're a loose feet... Where do we see what in Australia? How do you see the landscape of the... Oh, the landscape of Australia? Oh, look, the biggest issue, of course, is the relationship between the United States and China, and we've really got to sort ourselves out there. Uh, Obviously, we need to get behind the United States, but we don't have to be explicitly encoding sycophants to them. In the same way that um, the um, Melbourne media are explicitly encoding sycophants to the AFL, we've got to be a little bit... So challenging and uh, uh, pave our own way to, to some extent. I, I, well, that, that's our biggest issue, to tread a path of independence but at the same time realise that these two, big, these two big superpowers are, are rattling sabres against each other. I concur with you to a degree. I think the external issues, you know, you rightfully alluded to. But I reckon we've got a bigger issue to address internally. And the reason I ask... Uh, wokeism, well, we can dispense with that very We'll get rid of that in two minutes. Uh, you just have strength of conviction. But more importantly, and the reason I'm asking you this question, is because you're a masterstroke of creating that uh, abyss between the haves and the have-nots. Now, what in reality has happened here in our day, the great Australian dream of owning a home was always attainable. You know, you worked hard, you went to school, you got educated, you worked hard, you could reach your dream. But now, even if you did that, the gap between ownership and not ownership, the gaps between owning your own home and not owning your own home, has become, I think, the single biggest issue which created in, inadvertently all the other social issues that are prevalent in our society as well. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think that um, we don't 
give enough attention to supply side economics. Um, that is to say, we only worry too much about demand side economics, rising prices. We should attack the problem uh, more by increasing the supply of homes, opening up more land. There's vast tracts of land in Melbourne and Sydney that um, are confined uh, that um, are not opened up. And I think that when that happens, and once we get a, a better skilled labour force in tech colleges, which I think is the, which is one of the um, <coughs> platforms of the, uh, the Albanese um, policy, uh, more tech colleges, more, more skilled workers opening up land, we can get more houses built that way and therefore depress the overall price of houses. Now that you touched on it before, the woke system, uh, why are we prostituting our greatest single asset? And that is our wonderful culture, that level of irreverent satire, tongue-in-cheek. The diggers fought, you know, we lost 80,000 to some, the uh, Western Front, for the privilege of living in a wonderful democracy and we are the most diverse, inclusive and most prosperous nation in the world and we behave appallingly. Now, why don't you address that and why haven't you addressed that? Well, I'm doing my best by talking to the younger generation and telling them that they've got to abandon this wokeism, they've got to abandon this bloody um, plural uh, prepositions or pre- pronouns with people. They've got to, uh, to celebrate our diversity, celebrate our inclusiveness and not be totally obsessed by what crazy comments are made by idiots on social media. Correct. And so when you work for the ABC, we both work for the ABC actually. We used to. I used well, to. I do, I, I'm on a program called Offsiders. Which is very I must, good. I must say on Offsiders, I haven't been constrained by any points that uh, I, I'd like to make. One of the great shows, The Offsiders. I watch it. Yeah. I, I, I tell you an interesting thing last night. I, uh, yesterday, Roy and uh, Sam, I was, as I said, I was driving up to uh, Castle Maine, and I said to Jackie, that's my wife, Look at that thing on my arm, and a, a ladybird was on my uh, on my arm. Well, what do you call a ladybird these days? <laughs> There's only insect with spots on it. Bumblebee. No, it can't be ladybird. No, it can't lady. be a person bird or a... Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> well, now they want to call it a pregnant person. You can't call it a pregnant woman. In well, yeah, and, and the boycotts on the way out, it'll, it'll set person cots coming boycott. in. Boycotts. <laughs> yeah, boycotts. <laughs> This, this is just, it's gone insane. Gender politics, you know. What's Jeff going to call himself? Jeff Boycott. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> but but you, you talk to smart women. I think a lot of smart women. Yeah, exactly. Are They're the best judges. It's a, it's a subsect of society that's driving this and getting, getting a voice far greater than they deserve. Yeah, you know why? Because there's, there's an element in our society which, which we've allowed to fester which uh, become totally irrelevant and what they do, they impinge themselves on inane crusades for the simple reason for that to make themselves feel relevant. They've got no understanding of whatever protests are involved in, but they want to vent their spleen and for two hours of the day they feel terrific and they go back home and wallow in their self-misery. But we've got to expose it anyhow, that's my take on it. Uh, you're, you're on Sport and Life. Our guest is Roy Masters, and we're talking politics. Roy... Uh, uh, just a quick one, Leo. Yes, uh, go ahead. I'll tell you what else our wonderful guest enjoys. The, the one denominator we all share. Red wine. Ah, uh, red... From where? 
Michelin. Yeah, and which one? The print? Well, well, I think the print would be the one that Roy Masters would go for. Uh, we, Top we shelf. We had a wonderful birthday about, uh, joint birthday about uh, three, three weeks ago, which was uh, hosted by Jerry Ryan and involved, um, who should be there, but Frank Sedgman, I think he was 93 or 4. Four, yeah. Self, who was 80, and uh, Eddie Maguire, who were what, in his late 50s and, uh, or mid-50s, and Jerry bought a giant big bottle of red wine for each of us and uh, actually I took a photograph of it and showed it to Craig Young who was my captain at St George when I was there and who's now the, the chairman of the club and St George's uh, 100th year uh, in 2021 but of course it's been delayed, the celebrations have been delayed because of COVID and um, they've been in contact with uh, Neil Grant who was uh, there at that party. Lumpy was there. St George are going to follow the same line that uh, Jerry did with those giant big bottles. Yeah, special special labelling on yeah, them. Yeah, we all had those. And we're here now as we speak, so Jerry Ryan's a great uh, mutual friend of ours. By the way, you mentioned Craig Young. How is the big copper? Good? He was a good front yeah, rower? Uh, he got out of the police when, just when I was uh, finishing my coaching him. Yeah. And uh, he's uh, now owns three pubs, so he's, he's done very, very well. Tell you what, just... I well, know digress, here we go all over. The, you, you can speak to Roy Master for three years. I remember uh, Rocket Ready, wasn't there a great second rower? Yeah, Rocket was there when I was there too, and uh, there's a team of the century going to be announced uh, in at the uh, team of the century dinner early next year. It'll be very interesting to see if uh, Rocket and Craig make that team, because obviously they would be significant candidates. They both went on two kangaroo tours together, uh, 78 and 82, and uh, they were great players, tough players as well, good men. If I could get your uh, Sports Commission hat on again uh, and just uh, perhaps play, uh, make a bit of an accolade to two distance runners, in fact marathon runners, who have done wonderful things in uh, sports administration after their careers are over, and I refer to Rob DeConstella, uh, DeConstella who I don't know very well, uh, Steve Monaghetti, who I do know very well, uh, and they've done a marvellous job. Uh, after they finish their running. So uh, you must know a few people have done that. Well, yeah, there's an increasing trend. Of course, as more money comes into sport, people can see an opportunity now to stay in the sport and, uh, uh, you know, act as an assistant coach, become a, a head coach. Um, so some now are spending their entire lifetime in it, whereas, you know... Um, 50 years ago, you'd uh, finish your playing days and you might go and buy a pub or be involved in something totally different. But now they skip in sport. Um, Rob DeCasella was director of the Australian Institute of Sport, which came under the umbrella of the Australian Sports Commission uh, when I was there. And uh, Montagetti was just coming up. And of course, he's now on the Sports Commission board, but uh, been very, very instrumental in uh, sport in the Victorian education system. Roy, uh, look, we could regale you for hours. You mentioned the name Roy Masters. Uh, you know, it is pivotal when we talk about great Australians. But I reckon there's one little thing I've got you on. Yes, mate. Now, don't take this the wrong way. This is not personal. And don't jump down my throat, because I've got to raise it. You know, because everywhere there's a silver lining somewhere on the line. You coached all these clubs with enormous success but you never quite got to the summit. No, mate, we got beaten in uh, 1985 by one point. 7-6. The, the closest grand final of all time. 7-6. 